Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or how to think, but discuss why people believe what they do and why it matters. On this journey, we will speak with artists, curators, influencers, and pastors. Today, we're going to be talking about the cultural phenomenon that is preachers and sneakers with our special guest, Chris Green. I'm Aaron Ross. And I'm Ben Gomez. All right. Well, let's just jump on into our conversation with Chris. Chris, we're glad to have you here on the podcast with us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself before we start talking about the good old preachers and sneakers. <laughs> uh, new to Southeastern. Been here. Uh, this is my second semester, just wrapping up my second semester. Um, moved last August and teaching theology courses here, theology and philosophy courses here at the seminary. And trying to get acclimated to Floridian culture. Mm, more like the Floridian humidity? And, well, yes, that's part of the culture, for sure. Just for the record, Chris is rocking some dope Adidas's. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> some dope Adidas's. Oh, nice, nice. I'm wearing the, uh, the, the Nikes that Southeastern got for me, that you got for me through uh, Southeastern. It's yeah. all right. I'm rocking my Tom boots at $20, $20 at Marshall's. <laughs> Shout out, Preachers and Sneakers. Um. So what, what, what interests you before we jump into like this conversation that I think it's just kind of blown up, but what interests you in terms of theology and why you kind of got into this and why you like talking about it and why you like doing it? Well, I'm always interested in kind of the place that Christian doctrine, Christian theological reflection meets churchly practice and, and ministry. And I think this issue, like so many others, I mean, kind of raises all of that up. What, what are the... What are the theological commitments that underlie our critique of these pastors, and what underlies their practice? I mean, the, what, what what is happening in a community in in which what's happening theologically in a community in which a pastor dressing in this way fits, and what's happening in communities where it doesn't, and yeah. and how do we think about those theological differences? Chris, can you just share a little bit about your theological background and also your church involvement, just so our listeners can really get a, a better picture of who you are, and that way they can sense and see that you're not just coming from one angle, but you're really involved in both worlds. Yeah. I mean, I was raised in independent Pentecostal churches and went to Bible school in hopes of being a, a Pentecostal Bible school, in hopes of being... A church planter, and when I graduated and got married, that's exactly what my wife and I did: planted a church. And I kind of fell into teaching as a side gig, as a way of making money for the work I really wanted to be doing, which was was pastoring. And one thing led to another, and I ended up eventually doing the PhD, and now I'm doing what I'm doing. But I would say my career began, I was a pastor who did academic research on the side and taught on the side, and now I'm an academic who is a teaching pastor who speaks in churches. But all the way through, I've been, I've had feet in both worlds and engaged in mostly Pentecostal and charismatic churches, not not exclusively, but mostly, but of different sizes and, and different places on the spectrum. Uh, in terms of classical Pentecostal or charismatic or third wave, those uh, different kinds of Pentecostal churches. But that's, that's the... Uh... 
Yeah, I mean, for those who, I mean, I imagine if you probably came to this podcast, you've probably heard something about preachers and sneakers, but just as kind of quick recap, right? Within three weeks of launching an Instagram account, it grows over 130,000 followers. And all this Instagram account really does is take some pictures, usually off of social media of these pastors and kind of just prices out their clothing, right? I mean, mainly the sneakers, but sometimes the pants or the bag or whatever else is on the picture. And I mean, quickly it became this place where people are just fighting and arguing and some people are like in disgust. Some people are out there, you know, defending the pastors at all costs, whatever it is. And there's a lot of different arguments I think that were flying around on, is this good? Is this bad? What do we do with this? Should they be allowed to wear this clothes? Should they not? But I think that maybe in so many ways, since there's so much discussion, we, we often kind of miss maybe the heart of what's going on, or maybe the kind of the base problems or things theologically that are happening that are informing the rest of the discussions. And I know we've had some conversations about it before today. So what do you think it is? Like, what is the, what is the real conversation maybe that Preachers and Sneakers has created in our church world and you know, also outside the church world, so we'll get there too. Well, I think there are actually a lot of conversations happening at the same time. I think one one of them is those of us who live in privileged places and are ourselves privileged, I think there's always a bit of bad conscience, and ex- moments like these kind of expose that, that the for a pastor to kind of display his privilege is is considered indecent i think in part because of the way we all all of us feel a little bit guilty about what we what we have in terms of material things yeah. over against what we we perceive the rest of the world to be and some of that some of that is just bad conscience in Come, that comes from ignorance. Like I think a lot of the people that we're around, I mean, they imagine it to be all Americans are really, really blessed and everybody else around the globe is just in, in destitute poverty, right? Which of course isn't true at all about America or about the rest of the world. But still that brings with it a kind of bad conscience, a kind of sense of guilt. And I think in moments like these, it that rises up and we think at least our pastor should know better than that. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's one, that's just one, but I think that is one of the conversations that's being had right now. So Chris, let me ask you this. Um, what's been the, the history right in uh, Christendom with the priestly garbs? Um, hasn't history always shown that they wear fine linens and nice colors and threads. So how is what's happening nowadays any different, right? When we hear modern terminology is, you know, pastors are flexing with their Gucci belts and their, you know, Gucci slippers with the furs, but haven't the priests always worn nice stuff in the church? Well, it, it's it's all over the map, right? So you, you definitely have that practice. I mean, there have been some, you know, this is a point of controversy in the Middle Ages. One of the things that that Luther is scandalized by when he goes to Rome is the way in which these priests lavish themselves with with material things and and are also corrupt. So I think there's always been this I think there's this deep Christian belief and and I think you see it in pretty much every culture that when people start to lavish themselves with things material things shoes or clothes or whatever else something 
is amiss morally. I mean, that's a that that recurs in every generation, I think, which tells you one that people are doing it because it's there to be critiqued, and that there's some sense in which they shouldn't be doing it because it is being critiqued, right? And you know, there are, of course, Christians who err on the other side, who go to extremes of um, dressing in ways that are purposely designed to indicate that they, they want no part of material blessings. So monks who are taking vows of poverty, of course, who make up a, a large part of the ministerial tradition in the, in the Christian West, right? And so I think the you can see, I mean, John Wesley, for example, talks about this in ways in which he's a very wealthy man, and yet he thinks it's very important that he dress modestly and that he requires... Not only his ministers, but everyone in his community, all the Methodists, to be modest in dress, right? And and of course, the Puritans have their own version of concern about these things. So I think the it's not surprising that people are up in arms about this. I mean, I think this is this is this has happened before, right? This, you know, ministers like you're saying, Ben, ministers have dressed in extravagant ways, and then there's some kind of pushback against it and some kind of critique. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, you see Francis of Assisi, and you see this, the myth of Francis of Assisi of giving right. back his clothes to his own parents just right. to say, he strips I himself identify, naked, right? Yeah. right yeah, yeah, I identify with the poor, yeah. and I'm not going to owe anyone anything, and, and, and building the church is what he thought, right? But yeah. I want to I go back for a second for that idea of, like, the guilt of consciousness, because yeah. I think I think that actually hits really hard for most people in ways that we don't even realize. And I was kind of reflecting, as you're saying, on my own life, right? There have been times in my life where I know I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst, right? Like, so when you have to talk about, like, this theology of kind of Christianity of, like, you have time periods, especially with, like, Luther and Calvin yeah. and some others, where it's just like, you're a dirty, dirty sinner. You're just the worst. Everything about you yeah. is terrible. And I, I know in times where I felt that, maybe I felt impressed upon that with the church or for some reason kind of struggling with that, like, wow, I'm just such a bad person. I always remember kind of going back to the Bible and looking at David and being like, but David's at least a little worse than me. You know what I mean? Like, right. like as we get to like the end of David's life, I'm like, I didn't least, do what he did. Yeah, at least I'm not that bad. Uh, even though David, you know, man, I forgot his own heart and all that stuff. And the first half of his life is great. Second half just kind of gets really rough. So I wonder if there's some sense of that guilt of conscience that's going on, you know, in everyday people's life when they see the pastor and and they're confronted with, or or in some sense maybe it's a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. At least I'm not that I'm bad. I'm not that. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I certainly think that that's true from people outside those communities. I mean, I think the the ways in which we can rationalize this is is almost endless. Like, so if you're in inside the community then the pastor dressing in those ways is either not noticed at all or is noticed as kind of a positive example. You aspire to that, right? Like the, a sign of, in the crudest forms of this, and thankfully not not all of the churches, even that are being critiqued, are like this, but some of them are, where it seems to be they've reduced the gospel to if you live a faithful life, you will be materially blessed. Not only materially blessed, but you will be materially blessed. And having nice things is a kind of mark that God has blessed your life, right? And there are plenty of Christians, not just in our part of the world, plenty of Christians around the world that that buy that, they believe that. And then there are lots of other Christians who don't 
believe that and don't buy that. And I think when they encounter the, those extremes from the prosperity gospel, it is easy to scapegoat those people. It is easy to, to say, at least we're not that bad, right? So yeah, I mean, I think a lot of I think there's a lot to critique about prosperity, Pentecostal spirituality, but I think we have to be careful not to critique it in ways that simply scapegoat it. Yeah. So what? Uh, so I'm sitting here and I'm hearing you. What do you think in the guilty conscience that you were talking about, Aaron? What do you think entitles us or gives us the maybe the right to even critique others and what they wear um, on their feet or on their clothes? Um, because we don't do that in the corporate world. And again, maybe it goes back to what Aaron might say, and we've said in other conversations of, um, you know, well, the church is not a corporation, it's not a business. Yeah. Eh, well, the 501c3 does afford you certain taxable breaks. <laughs> right, right. Um, and the government is going to say certain things. But in reality is we don't walk around in our university. We don't walk around in some of our jobs and say, hey, you're wearing this or that, or you're not wearing this or that. But yet somehow, you know, in the conversation the church has been and it is well what are they doing you know what yeah you know what what gives us that right do we have a right um yeah in some, in some sense what is that why why the church you know what i mean why not why not the business world why the church i don't know maybe if i just right. compress that down a little. well i i do think i don't know i don't i, I haven't thought a lot about this so this is a bit off the cuff but i, I think that there are times where we do critique people in other realms, although I don't know that we use the exact same standards. Like I think the I think about the ways in which people critique the president for how often he's golfing and how much it costs the American people for him to to do a golfing trip golfing trip. And I know that that I, I remember hearing that about Obama and George Bush before Trump, right? So there's a way in which I think we will apply those kinds of critiques to other people. It's just with with preachers, the weight of it is different because you've got the counterexample of Jesus, right? You've got the the ways in which Jesus' teaching, at least on the face of it, does seem to call for this kind of simplicity of life that doesn't square easily with the way you know really prosperous people might live in in our part of the world. So I think I think that's where people are getting the that's the angle they're coming from right yeah. like that like where that the pastor ha- and and I think there are lots of sides to that I mean I think there are ways in which some of these critiques of pastors are unfair in that it's not um they're expecting the pastor to be uh, like they wouldn't have trouble wearing those shoes themselves Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But they're bringing that critique against the pastor for doing it. Right. And I think that's that's disingenuous. Right. I mean, and there's something about that that's a little bizarre. I mean, I I think it it does raise the interesting question, though, about is there a difference between the pastor owning those shoes and wearing them on stage when he or she is preaching? Like, and and is there a way in which some in that moment the, the minister's garb should have a different, that the minister should be garbed differently. Um, I think there's a there's a conversation to be had about that. So I don't I don't know that people are critiquing the minister so much for owning the shoes, as 
wearing them in that moment. Okay. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's a little different, right? I'm just saying for me, if you want to um, gift me, you know, a Gucci belt or something like that, I will gladly wear it and take it. And I think that some some of the preachers are saying that, like some of those things sure. are gifts and some of those things, they know people in that space of fashion. And so they want to wear it. I just, you know, it's what you said. I, I think our angle of disingenuous of people to say, why are they doing that? But yet, if I offer that to you, would you wear it? Oh, of course I would. Sure, yeah. Okay. And, and, that, and that is another factor here. I mean, in a lot of these churches, the these clothes that they have, they're being are being given to them. You know, I mean, I, I know I was just recently in a church in New York, and this is not the level of five thousand dollars shoes, but the pastor had on a barber jacket, which is really nice jacket that I I knew about. I recognized immediately what it was, and I was like, oh, nice jacket. And it turns out that there was a man who's attended his church for years, who's really wealthy man, and he gave it to him because it was too small for him. So here he is wearing this really high-end jacket. It's not a... But it's... I mean, the story is pretty tame, right? The story is there was a man who bought the jacket yeah. who then gave it to him. Because, so I, I think some of this, we might, if we knew the stories better, we would realize it's not as scandalous as it appears. I still think you have the question, though, about what should ministers wear when they're proclaiming the gospel. I think that's, even if all of this is, turns out to be, you know, people giving them these um, shoes or jackets or belts or whatever, I still think there's a question about how should how should they dress at that moment. I don't know the answer to. I just think it's one we should ask and one we should think about. Which, which if anything, I, I think I'm appreciative of the Instagram account for this reason. It's starting to make people ask the question. I mean, I had a student in my class just the other day as we were discussing this as a class and just kind of narratively going through it and saying, okay, what does this mean for us today? You know, I had, I had um, a lady in my class who basically she said, you know, we've been having this conversation, her and her like friends have been having this conversation about some of these pastors before, but they've never felt like they had the voice to say it. And the question isn't really should they or shouldn't they? The question was more of should we or shouldn't we? And I think in some sense, then it begs the question of, you know, I know this is a super popular word in our culture, but like leadership. At some level, do we think that maybe, you know, the more that you are entrusted with as a leader, the higher level of scrutiny? Oh, sure. And, you know, and, and do we recognize that reality that, you know, the more that we are coming to lead, the more we both come under scrutiny and we should live our life within scrutiny to go, yeah. what is this message going to proclaim? If I'm wearing this, am I proclaiming a message by what I wear? Whether I think it's, I'm just dressing cool because someone gave me these nice Gucci shoes, or what is the message going to be to someone else who comes to my church or who sees an Instagram picture or who sees me on YouTube or whatever it is. Yeah, and I think one of the risks here, I mean, I remember several years ago when Benedict was still Pope, there was a little bit of a controversy, nothing like this, but there was a little bit of a contro controversy because they found out that he had these uh, loafers that were made, um, handmade in Rome for him. And I don't remember what the cost was, but it was it's equal to anything these yeah. men are wearing, right? But they were Italian slippers, right? They weren't tennis shoes, and the, but still, there was a little bit of a like, little bit of a kick up about what what he was doing wearing these 
these slippers, and they weren't like, they weren't like for casual wear. Like they had, they had been made specifically for his clerical garments, and they they were red um, slip-on shoes. Anyway, beside the point, really. But to say that this can happen outside of our circles too, like the, it's not only a you know, Pentecostal North American conversation. Yeah. But I think what makes it different in our case is twofold. I think one, it's so pop culture. It's not just that we're spending a lot of money. We're spending a lot of money on stuff that's very in the moment. Yeah. So one of the things about our churches that I think we need to think about is the a lot of these ministers who are whose attention is being brought to them they're very they're very much men mostly men but men and women kind of of this moment it'll be interesting to see will they have that kind of platform 10 years from now or 20 years from now right and in some ways they invite this kind of like they they create this kind of cultural resonance which then also in part creates this kind of cultural pushback because that's where they're that's what they're doing all the time that's what's happening and I think there's there's a way in which that conversation. So if I could put it like this, I mean, it's one thing to wear five thousand dollar shoes. It's another thing to dress in a particular way that is made where you where it looks like you could walk off of a a music video right onto the stage of of a church. And I think that's the more interesting theological question is what are the costs to the church, no pun intended, what are the costs of the church of doing ministry that is that momentary, that is that fitted to the cultural moment and of a particular kind of cultural moment where we're not thinking long-term or thinking kind of above the culture. We're thinking, you know, what do people want to hear and see? That's what we're going to give them, right? And I think that's actually more important than whether or not they wear... $5,000 $5,000 tennis shoes. The fact that they're wearing tennis shoes at all is a sign that they're kind of, they're in a, a closed cultural loop. Right. Yeah, like a far cry from the suits yeah. and, you know, the suits Ooh. of when I was growing up where everyone had to wear a suit, had, the suit had to be pressed. Three-piece? Oh, yeah, absolutely three-piece. Wow. Right? Um, but And I think that brings up a great question, right? And, and before this, just kind of like looking through some stuff, I was kind of saw this podcast, right? Really popular. 500,000 people have watched it in the, I don't know, week or two that it's been up on YouTube, uh, let alone whatever streams they're getting on their podcast elsewhere. Um, where it's a, it's a bunch of people who aren't Christians who see this account because it's kind of hit critical mass in some sense. And even these non-Christians who are not part of that kind of like intra-culture, right? Who are looking at this and going, something seems wrong here. Now, a lot of like words like hypocrite was kind of being thrown around, a lot of like kind of that. But but I start to wonder if we're wearing or we think about kind of clothes in this way as we want to reach culture. Because I've even heard one of the people that was listed, I won't say names, of course, but one of the people on Preachers and Sneakers, you know, was asked, why do you dress the way that you do? And his response was, well, it's to reach the culture that I'm... That's what I'm talking about. That I'm that I'm in, right? The, to reach the people who in in the specific area that I'm in, which is affluent and so on and so forth. But then what happens when those same people are reaching this critical mass of like over a million followers on on Instagram, and you've got people who are outside the Christian culture who are looking in going, this doesn't seem like, I know little about Jesus, and this doesn't seem a lot like Jesus. Like, what do we do then? Are, are we willing to listen to that cultural critique? Because a lot of that critique on preacher sneakers is happening, 
you know, by Christians and some salty and, you know, we need to ask why are they salty, right. but like in some sense, what happens when it's the actual culture we're supposed to call to reach that's starting to ask the same questions? I don't know if anyone has an answer, but you know, it's, that's what's running through my mind. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, Chris alluded to it, um, right. That it goes against kind of like the principles and the lifestyle that Jesus portrayed. And I think you're going to have people that are, um, have been harmed by the church, have been harmed um, by different styles of leadership, uh, and that will take this as an opportunity to say, you know, this is why they're hypocritical, right? This is why they're going to say, give to the poor, give to the needy, but yet they will, you know, dress in garments that are worth two, three, five thousand dollars. And so how do you live what you preach? Um, and so, so yeah, some people will be upset. Um, I know in the conversations in the circles and the classrooms that I have, that's what the students are asking. The students are asking, how do we reach the people we're called to reach in a way that is not offensive, right? So you tell somebody in a neighborhood that's a little bit more marginalized, hey, there is hope for you. And they're going to say, I can never afford you know, those type of garments, never alone those shoes. And so how is there hope for me? Because I can never reach that. So what's the message there? And so Chris, how do you, right, as a teaching pastor, um, church in the Midwest, and even here in Florida, how do you um, kind of close the gap on that when you have different, different really sectors of the city sitting next to each other that are economically at opposite ends? Right. And social media, of course, exacerbates that problem in all kinds of ways, right? Because then there are people hearing and seeing you that would never hear and see you if it weren't for podcasts or television broadcasts and so on. It's kind of like the blessing of curse of those, you know, social media outlets, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, and, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm double-minded about that. I mean, I think there are ways in which, you know, if you're a pastor preaching to a group of people, and I've seen this happen, and this happens a lot in those, those high-profile ministries, where your ministry, those people are like the staged audience for your performance. And really you're ministering to those people who are outside of that room. And I think that's really dangerous and risky right? It's for, for Christian ministers to be trying to minister to people who live in contexts unlike theirs. Yeah. It's not impossible. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I just think wow. it's risky, yeah. right? Yeah. Where it's one thing if I'm you know, living with you day in and day out, I think some of these issues sort themselves out just from the way we live with each other. But when all you ever get of me is what you hear or what I tweet or what you hear on my podcast or what you see on my television program, I mean, I think that's that puts us into a different kind of relationship. And I don't know that we're thinking critically enough about what that means and how we should, how we should handle it, how we should respond. And I, I, I think what it ends up doing a lot of times is it pigeonholes us, right? So these churches that we're talking about here you are pretty massive. I mean, they have a wide reach. But I wonder how wide their reach is in terms of true cultural difference. Yeah. Right? They're getting a lot of people, but are all those psychographically, are all those people basically the same people? Like I, I think, you know, just because you have 10,000 people doesn't mean you have a lot of difference, really. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're in a large wow. city, right? Yeah. So I think some of these churches may may not be attracting people from very different places. I mean, some of them are, I'm sure, right? Yeah. But I think some of them might just be attracting a large number of the same kinds of people. 
which then for them, this isn't a problem, right? Right. But as soon as people from other cultures truly experience it, then of course it becomes becomes problematic. Which which I think kind of goes like psychologically, we think about confirmation bias, right? Like we tend to go towards the things which confirm what we want. And so I, I think sometimes even in conversations I've had about this, I know of people who are in ministry or maybe like looking to go into ministry, especially, you know, at a place where we we help kind of educate future ministers, where I, I see sometimes this wanting to defend, like a, a two different camps, right? You see the ones who kind of go, well, that doesn't look like much like Jesus, so that can't be right. And then you have the other camp in some sense that they're like, no, no, that's fine. It's fine to do. Because it's reaching people. And because it's reaching people. But then also, I, maybe there's three camps. Maybe I'll add another one here, right? Okay. So like, but then there's also a group of people who kind of go, no, that's okay, partially because that's what they want to get to. Mm. Right. Like it's almost like actually that's who I've been looking to as, you know, my example of what I want to be as a pastor. And like I want all the rights and privileges uh, and maybe things thereof that that pastor has. So I'm going to say yes to that. So that way, you know, again, that guilt, I don't have to feel that guilt when I get to there. Mm -hmm. And I I, I don't know. I just I just see it sometimes with the different conversations and I just I keep one I keep going back to this kind of question like maybe at some level the larger the reach the more the scrutiny and the more we have to recognize like just like you're saying Chris are we actually thinking about and and not to be a bad exegete here but really being all things to all people and the more that you have the all people who are kind of watching listening reading whatever are you actually being what they need in relation to reaching that large group of people. Yeah. So how, how many people do really connect with wearing clothing that can pay for someone's rent for a month, two months, three months, when they're struggling to pay rent and electricity and feed their kids? Yeah. Yeah. I think, for me, the, the weight of the criticism shouldn't... I mean, so there are at least three groups of people we could criticize here. I mean, we could criticize the critics, the people who are you know, inside or outside the church who are calling these pastors onto the carpet. So you critique them, and I think there is something to critique. I mean, I think some of what they're saying should be heard, and then who knows what all motives are driving their criticisms, right, in terms of jealousy or um, uh, uh, some kind of narrow fundamentalist sense of what ministry should be. I mean, who knows, right? But there's a critique to be made there. Then you critique, crit- critique the ministers themselves, either because they're not representing Christ rightly, or at least they're not being um, very prudent about how they go about it, right? So at the very least, you could say they ought to be a little more cunning about how they carry their prosperity. Some of them, of course, wear it on their sleeves, no pun intended, on purpose, right? Yeah, because yeah. They, they, it's to them, it is a sign of God has blessed me and God will bless you too if you live the life God has called us to. But some of them, I think it's just you know, they like nice things, or, and they have nice things because they can afford them, right? right. And that's okay, right? Them, right? Right, and, and I think, sure. The question is, how does being a minister and putting myself into the public eye, how, how then do I carry that rightly? Right? Yeah. Like, how do I bear it rightly? Do I do what St. Francis did and give it all away? If I don't give it all away, then how do I bear it in ways that are faithful. Like I think that's I think the weight is on those pastors to to come to terms with that, right? That that's part of 
part of the responsibility they have with that kind of platform is that they have to think about more than the people that are in their inner circle, right? Like people in their inner circle are going to be like them. They're going to wear those right. same clothes and go to the same restaurants and take and if the they same ask, vacations. Is this okay? They're, they're probably going to say get, yes because yes. they're doing the right. same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it, it won't exactly. be any kind of real critique there. So they need they need to realize that they're they're reaching people outside of their actual social circle. And that, that means there's responsibility there, right? I'm not in that position. like So I don't know what I would do if I were in that position. But I think that they should think about it and pray about it and try to come to some sense of responsibility. The third group, the one that I, I feel like I am in and that needs the most critique is the group of people who are in the position to affirm or critique those kinds of ministers. And here I'm talking about denominational officials, the people who put together the events where they invite speakers in, the, you know, the people who make chapel schedules at a university, the professors who are training students for ministry by giving them positive and negative examples. I think we ought, this is a moment for us to, to think carefully about how are we going to criticize and assess what is and isn't faithful amongst ministers. And I think it's, there are a lot of us who are, there are two common mistakes. I think one common mistake is, and I had this as an undergrad, as an undergrad student, I had a professor who he, this was back in the days of VHS, but he would bring in VHS tapes of Benny Hinn and Jesse Duplantis and he would play them oh, well, minute the fun ones, right? Yeah. yeah. Kenneth Copeland. He would play them minute by minute and stop it and then talk about what was wrong with what they just said. He would oh, play gosh. a few more minutes and stop it and talk about what was wrong with what they said. And instead of it being instead of that coming off ultimately as training for how to speak faithfully, it just all it did was kind of stoke this sense of superiority and condemnation. I mean, yeah. I think it was a really unhelpful way of critiquing and showing how to critique, right? And I think we can make that mistake, and we can make that mistake with ministers like these. You know, just look at our Twitter feed and see somebody's $5,000 Nikes, and, you know, yeah. that's the critique we make, right? That's not substantive. There's nothing – I mean, that's just complaining. But I think another mistake that's just as frequent is to think, but if these people have an audience, then they must be doing something right, and we should take it seriously. yeah. yeah. And that's not true either. Just because a lot of people tune in, I mean, it's there are plenty of things people out there for whatever reason have drawn a large audience, but they don't really have anything to say. And right, yeah. And I don't know that we should take much time critiquing it. Right? You, you see bands, you see pop yeah, culture. Exactly. There's a lot of people that can have lots of followers. Like followers I don't think equals health or followers right. equal rightness or correctness or even blessedness. I mean I think going way back to what you said before, like sometimes we've really misunderstood this word blessing. So if we say blessing Mm. is whether it's followers or monetary things or whatever, then what are we saying to the person who has followed Jesus their entire life, who's got little to nothing in a small church, but who's faithfully followed? Well, are they not blessed? Well, we've got to renegotiate. Right, and and I I would say, you know, there are... I've done a lot of speaking in pretty small, smaller churches, certainly not 10,000 people. And... There's plenty of bad teaching there yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and plenty of people who are wearing things they can't afford and driving cars they can't afford and living in houses they can't afford. It's just never going to be international news because it's a $75,000 car or 
a hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, but they're getting paid nothing. Right. right. So they they are living beyond their means, and they are living in ways that are above most of the people that they pastor. But it's not a scandal because it's not they don't know enough people for it to be a scandal. Right. But it's not like the ministers of these large churches are the only ones making these mistakes. The exact same right. mistakes are made at the very at very small scale, and. This the only reason we notice these people is because it is such a large scale, right. right? And that generates these kind of cultural moments where you get, you know, Twitter accounts or Instagram accounts dedicated to critiquing them. Um, and so I don't think they're above critique, but I wouldn't I wouldn't want us to be myopic and think the only people who need to be critiqued are right. yeah. <laughs> you know, churches of ten thousand people, pastors of churches of ten thousand people. Like that. There's, there's more criticism to go around. Yeah, yeah, and it's for everybody like, equally. Right. Yes. Yes. even professors. Yes, yeah, all of us yes. in this room, right? Exactly. And I think I think that's again why I think I'm, I'm appreciative of the of the account is because we have in some sense created a space that says okay maybe we need to have a dialogue. And I think the thing that I'm afraid of the most are the people who are just trying to shut down the dialogue to begin with. Like I, I've heard a lot of people go, well, this is creating division in the church. Well, in, in what ways might it be creating division? Is it creating division because there is serious questions that people are wanting to have serious conversations about? And if they're getting shut down, then yeah, they just find their way out or they kind of just remove themselves so they get angry and sarcastic. You know what I mean? Like all these things. Or, you know, yeah, I don't know. Follow with that a little bit maybe. Is there something there in terms of like – with this conversation being open, how do we theologically or just every day allow for this conversation to have space so we can gain something good out of it as opposed to it being some kind of like cultural moment that explodes for a second and then leaves and then, you know, a month from now, no one's going to think about this. Fades away. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we need to engage the substantial issues and not just if all, all we're really talking about is should pastors own expensive clothes or not. I mean, that that's a pretty ephemeral conversation I think we need to we need to press through to larger pressing issues about what's a pastor's responsibility when he or she takes a stage in terms of how how they are presented and that's not just about clothes I mean that's about a thousand things but clothes are one small aspect of how a minister is presented and the we need to think, I mean, just to give you some examples of what else might be involved. I mean, it's a kind of the, when, when you choose to broadcast your ministry, what is the cost to the people who are in your audience? So I think this is something that anybody who has a kind of larger audience, social media audience, has to keep coming back to, is can I pastor these people that are actually in front of me that I live with? if the people I'm mostly talking to are those people out there that I'm never yeah. going to meet. And if those people out there that I'm never going to meet are shaping what I'm saying. In other words, let's say there's an issue, and I'll give you a great example because I lived this. So you're speaking to the people outside the room when there's real-life, tangible people in the room that you're called to do community and live life with. I'll give you a perfect example from my wow. own life. Right, I was invited to speak to this pretty small church in Tennessee, and it was Black Lives Matter Sunday. And I was asked, I don't know why they asked me, but I was asked to speak a on very this white Sunday. Man. A very, yeah, yeah. very white man. But Only I was asked second to, speak to me in white. Right. I knew a couple of things. One is I knew enough about the church to know how I would have to talk about it in that to them, to those people. But I also knew it was going to be recorded. 
and that people outside of that were going to hear what I'm saying differently. Yeah. Right. Because the people who the people who are actually going to get the link on Twitter to listen to the sermon are going to be people who are much more interested in that race conversation than the people in that room are. Yeah. And so I have to find a way to speak to those people in the room because I'm not called to preach to the people who are going to hear. I, I don't know how they factor in, but I've been asked to speak at this church to these people. Yeah. Right. They're not just showing up to give background noise for me to give a message to other people. Right, right? right. These are the people I've been asked to speak to. And so I have to talk to them about race in ways that I think they can hear and, and should hear. Right. And that was difficult for me to, to try to figure out how do I negotiate that? How do I how do I speak to these people in ways they know I'm speaking to them and I'm not just speaking to somebody else who's not actually in the room? Yeah, and it, it, this almost goes in, in probably a conversation too big for you know this one episode, but you know a question of what is the vision of a pastor? Right, right. Like what, That's what we're talking about. What is a pastor? Yeah, true, right? Like we are talking about it. Like what is the vision of the pastor? Not just beyond what the pastor should wear or should not wear, but what is the pastor's job and responsibility for the group of people in which they actually pastor? Or you know, to use this very biblical picture of it, shepherd yeah. directly. I mean, how do you how do you shepherd? people individually if you don't know the sheep. Yeah, if you don't know, this is Eugene Peterson, you should know their names. And I'm not sure that I believe that. I'm not sure that every pastor needs to know everybody's name in the congregation. But I do believe that if I'm going to pastor in a congregation where I don't know everybody's name, I better have some sense of why that's right for yeah. me not to know. Right? Like the, it can't just be that I show up and do what I do and never am thinking critically about, am I doing it faithfully? Am I doing it well? And, yeah. and am I doing it in ways that actually reflect well on the gospel? And I think, I do think one of the critiques you can bring against the, these preachers we've been talking about is they, they don't, most of them don't give off the air of being self-critical people. Like that's not the, the vibe that they give off. Right. Yeah. And we should, like we should, it should be clear to people that we are, not only open to their criticism, but that we are thinking critically about ourselves, right? That we recognize that, this, that we can't do this, right? This, yeah. this won't work. And, and we make adjustments because of that, right? And I think the, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the more interesting conversation and it, not getting caught up in just, yes, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down on expensive tennis shoes like that. that yeah. Because there are way more important issues at stake here than that. I mean, just what we were saying about, about race. I mean, I think there's a way in which our culture can, especially social media culture, can get caught up in backlash and backlash about things that ultimately don't really matter. Yeah. I mean, they, they, might, they might touch on things that really matter, but it itself doesn't really matter. We typically grab onto yeah. like a picture of something that should be pointing us to something deeper or something yes. more important, but we just hold on to this picture. Probably because it's easier, yeah. right? It's easier to kind of self-critique that small thing yeah. that's pointing to the larger reality behind it. Yeah. And I would just want us to push through all that to what are the larger realities like you're talking so about? So maybe it's um, what I'm hearing you, Chris, um, share on this episode that maybe the preachers and sneakers is not so much about what the pastors are wearing, but the disposition of our own hearts with our own generosity or lack thereof. I think that's a, I think that's a factor. I think there I'm hope what I'm trying to suggest there are a lot of factors. That's yeah. absolutely one of them, right? Yeah. And it's it has to do with of course the pastor's own intentions as well, but 
we're not thinking enough, I, I don't think, about what are the long-term implications of the way we're presenting ourselves. Again, not just our clothes, but how, what is the, the persona? Like I, I saw a video the other day of a pastor. It was a Sunday morning service. I don't know anything about the context. Um, so it might be purposely, perfectly harmless in fuller context. But the, all I saw, someone sent me a clip of a church service where there was a pastor. This was during March, and it was a, the theme at the church was March Madness, apparently. And the pastor was talking and shooting baskets, shooting basketball, while he was talking. I don't think I could actually do that. Yeah, that would be too hard You're for me. You're athletic enough. I think you could. I think no, you could. I, just, I think there's things, some game in you. Two things at one time would be too I th- hard. No, I think yeah. you could. And the whole, the whole gist of it all was about how he was a winner. He personally, the pastor, was a winner. Like playing on this idea of, of winning from the March Madness theme. Yeah. And that God wants us to be winners and you're called to win too. And I can't say out loud what I think about that. I mean, that's – I can't say out loud on this – yeah, podcast yeah. anyway when yeah. I think about that. I mean, I think that is, that's not just about whether or not the clothes he was wearing were expensive, right? He was presenting himself in a way that I think is at odds with... Like, I'm the model of what winning looks like. Right. That, that, first sense. of all, that winning matters to Christians. Secondly, that he's the model of it. And third, that you should imitate me so you can have what I have. I mean, I think all of that's wrong. I don't think, like, I can't imagine winning ever mattering to people... Um, who follow Jesus. Like, that just makes no sense to me. I mean, you, you see that with a lot of Peter, you know, the true test of a Christian is to suffer, right? right. You, you get Paul with the the ancient uh, canonic poem of, you know, have the same mindset of Christ, who, being God, did not assume that equality with God is going to be grasped. Like, that didn't, right. He didn't hold on to it. Like, that was not the point. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's all over, but sometimes it's just hard for us to... Yeah, so the point I was making in that case is, and again, maybe in context, he's for all I know, he was setting that up as something to critique. I don't know. I'm just telling you about the piece of the clip I saw. Yeah. But to me, that was a way of presenting himself that was problematic. Whether he was wearing $5,000 tennis shoes or $50 tennis shoes, right? That does beside the yeah. point, right? He presented himself as a quote-unquote winner. And that as what the Christian life was supposed to be about. And then suggested that they could just follow him and it would work out that way. And that, I think, is that's the kind of presentation I'm talking about as being problematic. It's almost like the medium has become the message, and you know, it's the medium has kind of portrayed things that we have never asked, like, is that medium okay? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're, we're still worried about the message that we forgot that, you know, the medium by which we actually give some kind of message right. actually often betrays, betrays, and portrays wow. uh, the, the message itself right. better yeah. than the actual words or or whatever it is that's being said in the time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Chris, thank you so much. We're coming to a close. We've kind of even gone a little longer than we expected, but it's been a great conversation. Um, if you want to tell maybe our listeners some how they can connect with you, maybe keep uh, going with the conversation, whether social media, or if you've got any book projects coming up or anything like that. Come on, follow his Twitter feed, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Only if they have affirming things to say. I don't want any kind right, of critique. Yeah. Yeah, please not. I can't have any critique. Let's shut down all conversations. If there's one thing that preachers think, let's just shut I down. You will get blocked, or yeah, yeah, they'll exactly. take pictures from their knees Turn up. off the comments. Turn off everything, yeah. Um, I think it's C.E.W. Green at Twitter, and the same thing for Instagram. Awesome. Any writings, anything coming up? I mean, you just had a book come out not too long ago. Yeah, uh, I did. I have a book proposal to finish for a book on Mary that my wife says I have to write next. But Ooh. 
I um, I've delayed it for whatever reason. I've got a bunch of small projects of chapters and entries for theological encyclopedias I have to finish. So I'll get those done sometime this summer and go on to the next. So just pay attention to the Twitter feed. They'll be there. Okay. They'll be there. <laughs> That's good to know. All right, Chris, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for having this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you Hopefully we'll have to talk to you soon here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.